This podcast is brought to you by the Administrative Committee of the Presbyterian Church in America, promoting the unity, purity, and progress of the church. Learn more about the Administrative Committee and support its work by visiting PCAAC.org. Welcome to Gifts and Graces. All Christians have communion in each other's gifts and graces, says the Westminster Confession. So on this podcast, we help you and your church benefit from the gifts and graces of other parts of Christ's body. Each episode, we bring you a seminar, sermon, or discussion from church leaders across the country and around the world designed to promote the unity, purity, and progress of the church. This is Gifts and Graces. On this episode of Gifts and Graces, we get to hear from Chuck Garriott as he considers how the church should engage with government officials. Chuck Garriott is the executive director of Ministry to State. This was originally recorded as a seminar delivered at the 2021 General Assembly. Let's listen as Chuck Garriott helps us consider what happens when politics divide the church. Good morning. Part of this uh, particular uh, gathering in regards to ministry to state, as some of you probably already know, this particular emphasis of the uh, mission to North America Presbyterian Church in America is a very uh, significant emphasis towards developing ministry to people in government. And sometimes we say people who, who serve uh, us in government. And as a part of our ministry this morning, we wanted to spend some time explaining and uh, going through some of the details of why it is that we believe the church should be involved with people in government. As you probably know, Ministry to state is not a political emphasis of the Presbyterian Church in America. It is a ministry to people in government. We're there for the person, not for the policy. And I'm going to hand things over to Robert Hassler, who is a communications director for Ministry to State, and let him start. Robert, thank you. Good morning, everyone. Uh, It's great to see you all this morning. My name is Robert Hassler. I'm the Communications Director for Ministry to State, uh, and it's my pleasure to welcome you all to this seminar. Um, Chuck did a great job of explaining kind of what our our hope for this conversation is, and uh, I'm very excited to welcome uh, a few guests with us. Um, On my far left here is Will Stockdale. Will Stockdale is a ministry associate with Ministry of State in Washington, D.C., and he's also the director of our Commons program, uh, which is our flagship program for interns in the city. Right here is Michael Langer. He's our associate director uh, for the D.C. ministry, and he also comes to us with many years of experience in church planting. And then our very special guest here, you can see zooming in all the way from Washington, D.C., is Dominique McKay. Uh, Dominique McKay is the de- uh, was the former deputy comms director for the Majority Whip's office and is currently the communications director for Senator Tim Scott of South Carolina. So this is a, we're really excited for this conversation. We're really um, looking forward to uh, the insights that all of our panelists have for us. Um, I think 
there's no better place to start this conversation uh, than really hearing from somebody who's in the thick of it, who's in politics and doing uh, the work that ministry to state um, goes to DC to help minister people that are doing that. Uh, and that's uh, Dominique. So Dominique, I, I'd like to sort of start it off with you, if you could. Um, tell us a little bit about your uh, experience and your story uh, in being called into uh, politics as a vocation and how that plays out uh, with your uh, call as a disciple of Christ. Yeah, thanks, Robert, and thanks, everyone, for inviting me and having me at this event. It's just really exciting. I've been working with uh, ministry to state for a lot of years, so it's exciting to see um, how much they've grown and just the impact that they've had on people in D.C., um, but as Robert said, uh, I've been working on the Hill. I've actually been working on the Hill for about 10 years now, almost 10 years. Um, I started as an unpaid intern back in 2012, um, working in the house. And uh, a lot of people come to me and they ask, you know, how do you get started on Capitol Hill? And I always tell them, don't take the route I did, <laughs> which um, I actually applied for an internship online, which is not how you find a job on Capitol Hill. Um, but just through God's providence, I ended up getting that internship and have been on the Hill almost the entire time that I've been in DC. Um, so I've worked both in the House and in the Senate. I've worked on the legislative side of things and primarily in the communication side of things. Uh, I've worked for committee. I've worked in what we would call a member's personal office, which is the office that does a lot of the constituent work. And I've also worked, uh, as Robert said, in leadership, working for John Thune, um, both in the communications office for the Republican Party in the Senate, but then also when he became whip, I moved with him into the Capitol um, to work with him and do communications for him in the whip office. And now I'm with Tim Scott. So I've definitely had a long journey on Capitol Hill uh, and it's been a great, a great decade. That's great. Um, I think, Will, also you have something to add here too in just that as, as somebody who is catching a lot of the uh, the interns, the young people that are coming on to Capitol Hill, what are some of the things that you see and you hear uh, from folks like Dominique, from others that are coming there, about how they're, how they're seeing their work as it relates to their call to be disciples of Christ? Yeah. Uh, well, good to be with you guys this morning. Um, you know, one thing, uh, like Robert said, I run a program called Commons, which is for our interns. On Tuesday evening, we gather and have a meal and seek to disciple and, and provide like a, a community for these interns to get connected to while they're up in D.C. for the summer. And one of the things that uh, happened was Dominique suggested that one of the important things people could do in their office was build relationships with their coworkers, which as someone who grew up in the church and youth group, that idea of building relationships through work was just kind of low-hanging fruit for me. It was something that was very understood. It was like, of course, that's what you're going to do. But the guy to her right was actually kind of shocked. He said, I'd never thought about that before. And what that showed was that there is a very um, hyper-emphasis on career and moving forward and getting promotions that can sometimes neglect the opportunities to just love one's neighbor in the cubicle next to them. And so DC is full of people who are very type A, who are very uh, accomplished, who are very smart, very driven, very much so looking forward to the next thing. And so when they come, 
to work, that is their objective is to either be there for two years or five years, maybe to be a chief of staff. Um, and they're, they're very ambitious. And so finding a way to, to meet that where it is and to <clears throat> disciple them into seeing a more holistic um, uh, side of, of their work. Do you think that the, the folks that are coming, and Dominique, feel free to jump in here too. Um, when folks are coming to DC, what is, what is their interactions with the local church? What, what are they, how do they feel support from the local church? How do they maybe not feel support from the local church in terms of um, being a public servant, being somebody who's working in government as a, as a vocation? Uh, Will, do you want to start with that? Yeah. Um, in terms of seeing their work appear as a vocation and calling, I don't know uh, if there is as much support as would be helpful for them and training them in their work. One of the things that we come up against is people are very busy, and Sunday, um, it's a work hard, play hard environment, right? So you have people who they work really hard five days a week. Saturday and Saturday night is a time to be out at parties, which means they're very tired on Sunday, which means they don't end up going to church. And so there's one thing fighting against with people is, is encouraging them to build these local church community relationships. I will say that, that fortunately for us at ministry, say the people that we are closest with are uh, very involved in their churches. Um, but I, I've seen one area that is most needed for these men and women is an emphasis on discipleship above anything else, that what is, what is needed, what is um, sensed is that the sermons are wonderful, taking communion uh, is, is very valuable, but actually being with them in the day-to-day, -day, praying with them, letting them know that we care about what they're doing is, is just absolutely essential to the vitality of their faith and their work. Dominique, would you sort of confirm with that? Because you, in addition to what you do on, on Capitol Hill, you're also very involved in a, a local leader in, at your church uh, in, in Virginia. So kind of, is that your similar experience too? Yeah, I would agree with Will. Um, I think, so when I, to back up to something else that Will said, when I came to DC, I was really focused on kind of advancing in my career, which I think is just a normal um, mode of most people here. Um, it wasn't really until halfway through my time on Capitol Hill that I really started focusing on developing relationships with my coworkers from a more Christian perspective. And so um, the church definitely has a role to play in that as well in equipping the staff that are on the Hill to develop those relationships and to be a real Christian presence on Capitol Hill. Um, and so I've been attending my church here in, in Virginia uh, pretty much the whole time that I've been in D.C., but I, I, I think a lot of the churches in D.C. are are very good at discipling people, but I do think sometimes they struggle with striking a balance um, when it comes to people who work in politics specifically because um, there are a lot of church leaders who shy away from really speaking into any type of political issues. But especially in D.C., there's so many people where who work on Capitol Hill or work in the administration and the issues that you see on the news every day are actually affecting their personal lives, their everyday experiences. And so there is a need, I would say, for local churches to really educate their congregants about um, being compassionate for those who are, who are in public service, uh, praying for them, um, but also just being in their lives and actively pursuing relationships with 
um, the public servants in, in, in your local government. That's really good. And Michael, I want to get you in here on this now because you have, in addition to being the associate director for the D.C. ministry, I mean, you came here to D.C. and, and came to Ministry of State after years of church planning and being involved in the local churches and, and dealing with churches in very sort of politically diverse and diverse communities. So can you kind of share your experience in the local church, leading a local church, um, and how you cultivated this, this sort of uh, this healthy vision of, of politics as a form of human flourishing, as a way to, to promote human flourishing? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, I, re I do feel, I tell Chuck this pretty regularly, I cannot believe that I get to do the job that I am doing right now. It is, it is like I'm doing my dream job. And it is only my dream job because of the kind of the path that the Lord took me. When I went to seminary in 2004, I was 36 years old and had four children. And I knew two things were true. I would, well, three things. I was willing to serve the Lord in any way he wanted, as long as it didn't involve church planting and going back to Iowa. And uh, the Lord used one of the professors there as a prophet in my life to say, you know, you're wrong about two of those things. Uh, and I ended up planting a church in my hometown of Iowa City, Iowa, which is the home of the University of Iowa. Uh, it's a very, very progressive city in a very, very red state. It's the home of the Iowa Writers Workshop, the most prestigious creative writing program perhaps in the world. Um, and it, Iowa was the first state to legalize gay marriage. That happened while, I think, probably in our first or second year. And that city is filled, as almost all university cities are, they're filled with people who want to change the world. They want to be a part of doing something to bring about flourishing, whether it's through the sciences or through the liberal arts or whatever it is. And we ended up with a church that, had, that was filled with academics the chair of the physics department, the chair of the political science department, the chair of the infectious diseases department, people from the writer's workshop, and homeless people. We had no middle ground. Mm. And I went and I said, hey, I went to a, a church planting coach and I said, man, there's something's wrong. We have no middle ground here. And he said, well, let me ask you a question. In the middle ground, do those people have churches to go to? And I said, well, yeah, there's probably 10 they could go to. And he goes, okay, does the chair of the physics department have somewhere to go where he feels like his vocation can be affirmed. He doesn't have to leave his brain at the door and he can hear the gospel every week. And I hesitated and he said, your church doesn't have a problem. You have a problem. You need to be okay with what the Lord is sending you. And it was then that I kind of realized this important need that people who are academics, people who are vocationally driven, need to be affirmed that the Bible speaks to what they're doing, and what they're looking for is kind of wisdom in those areas about how to think biblically about everything, and they also need immense amount of pastoral care, because they are having struggles in their home life, they are having struggles in the workplace, they are having issues of futility and frustration, and they need somebody to speak into their lives. And the second church I planted was a blue-collar suburb of Chicago where when the people took the train in, they were taking the train in to work for somebody else. And so I was, I've been able to kind of see kind of both ends of, well, not say both ends, but two ends of this, of this world, people who are working for people being told what to do, people who feel like they don't have any agency 
in their lives, and a lot of times that's staff workers in the United States government, it's career officials who are told every four years, do something different because what you've been doing for the last four years is horrible. It's, it's bad, we have a better vision of America than what you've been doing. And then we have people who are driven to try to change the world, who are trying to figure out, does the Bible have anything to say about the things that are important to me? And so I think that's, uh, that's been one of the biggest blessings to have, have a team who can come along people on both sides. Yeah, I, I think what, where we're at now is so we've established that this is, politics as a vocation is, is, is a thing that the Lord has called many of his, his followers into. And it's something that the church uh, ought to be mindful of in coming around these people and caring for them and loving them in those, those spaces. And now I kind of want to move us into, I think, that, that second question, the how part. How, how do we do that? Um, ministry of State obviously has uh, some part to play in this. We see, we see ourselves as a ministry there for the sake of the gospel to disciple people uh, in government. Um, but then also we have all this sort of issues that are going on uh, in today. And uh, Dominique, you, you mentioned this, I think, a little bit earlier about the political divisions, about the, the sort of the partisanship uh, that we see going on uh, in, uh, in politics and on Capitol Hill in particular. Um, what are some ways that the, that the church can interact with those in government without um, necessarily playing into that uh, polarizing discourse and, and being nonpartisan, if you will, for lack of a better term? What are some of the ways that the church can do that, from, if you want to lead us off? Yeah, so uh, a couple weeks ago, I was doing a Bible study with a person who was a former uh, deputy secretary, a cabinet agency official who, you know, was summarily dismissed on January 20th. We no longer need your service. You don't know what you're doing. Uh, we need to go in a completely different direction. Uh, but one of the things that he said to me is the thing that he constantly struggles with in local churches is that churches need to decide which eschatology they believe in. And he said, in Washington, you have three eschatologies to pick from, and pretty much everywhere does. And, and the issue is that pastors in many churches are preaching an eschatology that the Bible doesn't agree with. And so, uh, you know, just think to yourself, uh, the previous administration had a, had a slogan, and it was, make America great again, right? So it was a future-oriented, something is wrong, it needs to be fixed, we need to go in a particular direction. Okay, that's make America great again. Does anybody know what the current administration's slogan is? Build back better. Now I want you to just think about that for a second. Make America great again. It's not now, it needs to be great. Build back better needs to be better in the future. These are two different eschatological statements about something that's wrong that needs to be better. Okay? The issue is, and one of the reasons you, what you see in January 6th is you see what happens when people have committed themselves to a particular eschatology and believe that the only way that eschatology comes about is if they do something like cut the ear off of Malthus. Right? Because they're terrified that what they want, what they think is supposed to happen, isn't going to happen. 
unless they take up arms or do something. What else are we supposed to do? But the gospel preached from the pulpit is we don't need to fear. The Lord is in control today, right now, and we have hope. We don't have fear. We don't feel panic that everything is falling apart. And he said, one of the things is I go to different churches, I frequently hear an eschatology that either is make America great again or build back better, but it is not the gospel. It is not driving people to hope. It is driving people to fear. Yeah, I think also there's an element here where it is, it's not even... Um, political per se, like a lot of the folks that I work with on Capitol Hill, you know, I, you mentioned this earlier too, you know, it, it's the, the issues that they're dealing with is not necessarily like these policy debates or these political divisions. It, it's things like, you know, I don't know how to um, uh, keep my, my work-life balance together. It's ruining my marriage. I mean, it's a lot of personal issues and stuff like that. Um, and then you kind of have the, the personal elements also playing out on Capitol Hill. And so one thing that's always striking to me when I go visit Capitol Hill is that you have offices, you know, uh, in, in the different House and Senate office buildings that you'll have, you know, a, a really sort of uh, re uh, right-leaning Republican office right next door to a left-leaning Democrat office. They are literally neighbors on Capitol Hill, even though we would never put them that way. Um, Dominique, as with your experience on being on Capitol Hill, as somebody who, you know, you are in uh, an office that has an, a, a, a program, they're, they're trying to accomplish goals, and then sometimes you're, the office next door has completely different goals. How do you as a Christian love your neighbor in those sort of situations on Capitol Hill? Yeah, it's, uh, it's really interesting. Um, Yes, we are actually like literal neighbors with um, people from different parties. And um, the interesting thing is like we all have to work together to get bills passed. And so we actually do develop pretty good relationships with our counterparts in various offices uh, for that reason, especially, you know, if you have a delegation for from a state that has both Democrats and Republicans, usually that delegation works together on various issues. Um, but even socially, we have, you know, softball leagues in the summer that are um, oftentimes bipartisan. Uh, so we definitely try to develop strong relationships with one another because we want to actually uh, get legislation passed that, um, you know, is not so to the right or so to the left. It's something that is represents all of America. Uh, so we've done a lot of work behind the scenes to make that happen. But as you know, some of the other panelists have talked about, there's still a lot of division in the U.S. Um, and even within the church as to how we should think about issues and um, how we should present ourselves uh, on the public stage. And so that definitely continues. I think that, um, I know for me, like I've done a lot to develop relationships with Democrats. And I think as a Christian, my goal is more to meet and speak into the lives of people who are not Christian, regardless of what party that they're from. Um, and so I think the Christians on Capitol Hill really focus a lot on the Christian mission. Um, that is the ultimate goal, whereas a lot of the work that we're doing, while we're, we, of course, want good legislation to pass, um, 
in some ways that for a Christian, in some ways that is secondary to uh, being a good public witness as a Christian and developing those relationships um, with people who maybe don't look like us or maybe aren't from our same background, but are seeking Christ. Um, so I always try to keep that at the forefront of, of my relationships and my mission. Um, but I would say, you know, there are a lot of difficult times where there's a lot of contention on Capitol Hill. And like, for example, during any Supreme Court nomination process, um, it's probably one of the most intense times on Capitol Hill where each side is definitely in their corners and um, there's a lot of just division. Um, and a lot of that feels personal for staffers, you know, Um I think, especially because we do work so closely together, when when there are those rare times when we are so divided, it it feels very personal um, because you know the hill those the people that work there are your community. They are your primary community. It's like Robert was saying, we have a, a whole campus um, of you know House and Senate buildings. That's where we eat all of our meals, and um, and even I would you know an interesting thing is like even during the impeachment. Um, we all were together for, I, we worked like 15 hour days um, all together with security, with press. Um, and that was an interesting time because publicly it feels very divided, but um, behind the scenes, you know, we're, we're together doing work. So um, it's, it's, definitely, it's definitely different if you were there and you saw it, it's very different than what is being played out in the media because, of course, there is a lot of drama going on in the news. I mean, that's a part of their jobs. But um, but behind the scenes, you know, we are doing work and we are working together and um, there is a community that we are building. So, you know, I would say it's, it's really important to be praying for the people that are there, be praying for the relationships that they're building, because there are times when it's really hard and those relationships can be broken based on what um, outside voices and communities are are saying. So everything that's happening outside does affect us, but I would just say, you know, know that that we are just like everyone else and and working to build relationships just like everyone else. Yeah. So uh just two two really quick kind of kind of anecdotes here. One of the, the when I speak at churches or maybe when some of the other staff do, one of the most common issues that gets raised is when are you going to do something about the gridlock and lack of bipartisanship? Like we've got to get something done in Washington. And on my not so good days, I say, well, as soon as you all stop being hypocrites. Um, like I said, this is on my not-so-good days. On my good days, I'm very flowery. But so hypocrisy is not saying one thing and doing another. It's saying one thing and believing another. Like saying you want the end of gridlock and then voting out your elected official because he was too moderate, because he worked across the aisle too much. In the last three or four election cycles, the Democrats that have the Democrats in safe Democratic districts that have lost their seat were voted out by somebody more progressive. In safe Republican seats, the Republicans who lost were voted out of office because people ran somebody who was seen as more conservative. And then they say, why can't there be more cooperation in Washington? 
And I say, well, if you would stop penalizing people every time they do it, maybe there would be less of that. And, and to, uh, to Dominique's point, you, you all remember when the economy was nearing collapse right after COVID, I was in conversation with a gentleman on the Hill who was part of the, uh, part of the effort to put together the $1.4 trillion stimulus package. And we were going back and forth every single day. And the day that they ended up passing it, we were going back and forth on text pretty much every hour. Uh, he was asking for prayer, asking for insight. He's like, this is so hard. People are making speeches or making my job harder. And then later in the day, shortly after they passed the bill, I started getting very bizarre texts from this individual that made no sense at all. And I texted his wife, who is a cabinet official, and I said, hey, are you talking to your husband? I'm getting texts from him that don't make sense. And she said, yeah, you need to pray for him. I'm not really sure what's going on. And so the next day after that bill had passed and been signed, I called the wife on the phone and I said, hey, how's your husband? And she said, well, he spent the night in the hospital because he had a mental break and he became delusional and lost grip of reality because for six days he hadn't slept because he was trying to figure out how to hit a butterfly with a pin hoping that that's the thing that would it would take to save the United States economy and he didn't know whether or not it would work and he felt the weight of the world on his shoulders and for the next week we met every day and just prayed together and so there's this political division that is imposed upon them. And in the midst of that, these are real people with real life issues that are really need pastoral care. Will, you're catching a lot of these folks that are coming in. It's their first couple years on, the, on Capitol Hill. They're not at that point yet. They haven't, they haven't had that sort of level of stress. And what are you saying to them? What are you walking them through in your studies and in your discipleship with them? to sort of prepare them, not in a, to like do that, but in order to avoid that kind of uh, situation, to, to really be grounded in the, in the gospel uh, and to avoid those sort of circumstances. What, what are you teaching them and working them th through? Um, as, as Michael was saying this, um, probably a lot of us are familiar with the idea of plausibility structures, <laughs> that we exist in communities or, or spaces with other people who share our beliefs and those other people or places that share our beliefs support and kind of buttress uh, the, the, the sense of plausibility that our beliefs have. Well, as America secularizes, as the Hill has these competing visions of what is good and what is ultimate, you have a, a deteriorating sense of a common plausibility among people. And I think one of the plausibility structure for belief among people working on the Hill. And so one of the things that I try to do is to uh, take them out a little bit of the um, vitriolic debate of arguing over political issues and maybe debate and argue a little more on theological things. So this summer we're doing like a very Presbyterian thing, theology on tap. So meeting at a bar and debating and discussing heady theological topics. Uh, and one of the things that has been refreshing for me and I think for other people is the chance to gather with each other and pontificate and question and wonder, you know, whether Calvinism or Arminianism is, is more plausible. And it, it turns out 
Calvinism is. So uh, we, w- we won that debate and put it to rest once and for all. Uh, and, and then even doing a thing like theological anthropology. And so what does scripture have to say about men and women? And what is it, what does the doctrine of man mean for us? And then hopefully by taking those deep Christian theological concepts and truths, um, and, and letting that be projected onto neighbors on the other side of the aisle so that they too are the image of God and that that, um, that has implications for their work and their relationships and how we treat them. Uh, and it was very encouraging. I was at a, at a house party with um, somebody and he had said that he took his debate and was debating with one of his roommates about the same kind of topic. So it's fun to see that kind of trickle on to, uh, to other conversations further down the road. And, and you know, um, younger people early on on the Hill, when they first get there, these staff assistants, which is like, it's, it's a very hierarchical structure on the Hill, um, which is much like an ant mound, actually, with the tunnels and how everyone's connected. But you have interns at the very bottom, you have staff assistants, and then you have legislative correspondents, legislative assistants, legislative directors. When you're at the between intern and staff assistant, or intern and, and LC, when you're a staff assistant, your job is to be a grunt. I mean, your job is to get there before the rest of your team, to set out the newspapers, uh, and to answer very angry phone calls <laughs> all day. Uh, and to make sure that you do not forget to respond to very angry emails that pile up over the weekend. And so, when I, one thing is when I've talked to people and they've been like, how can we support those serving government? It's like, you could just make a nice phone call. <laughs> actually, when I told a staff assistant that, they're like, or you could tell them just not to call at all. <laughs> and so there, there, are, there are like very simple things that can be done just to say, hey, thank you for what you're doing. I'm praying for you. That's it. And a little secret, most of the time when you call them, it doesn't actually make it to the senator's desk. <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure if anyone here has done that. But um, so I... In, in addition to that, as they move further up, a lot of the things that, that people are working on, um, one, one woman I minister to, she's doing like water legislation. So she was in Florida and her job is something that she considers very boring but is very essential for people's livelihood, making sure that water infrastructure is in place for the state of Florida for people to have access to clean uh, and hygienic drinking water and for a living. And um, it's, not, it's not sexy. It's not glamorous. It's never going to make the news. That's not going to be something that we're going to see covered uh, on CNN or Fox or whatever. Um, but it is essential to our livelihoods. And this is a very smart, God-fearing, loving woman who really wants the best for people around her. Um, and I don't think about water that often. But when, when I do, I'm, I'm thankful for what she's doing. <laughs> you know, I, I, rem- I remember... Uh, at the Commons program, uh, I think it was a couple years ago. Well, I don't know if you were there yet, but uh, there was uh, a speaker to the interns, and uh, he was a, a high-ranking official, and uh, he had been gracious to give us uh, his time to come talk to these these interns, these really bright-eyed, bushy-tailed interns who think they're going to change the world. And, you know, they're... Uh, they're asking him, like, what are the things that we can be doing as Christians to really, you know, change the culture of Capitol Hill? Like, what do we need to do? And he just kind of looked at him, and he was just like, have you tried fasting? Like, are you, are you praying? Like, it, to, to the, the see the, the humility and, and the, the, the sort of simple God-fearing uh, character of these 
uh, Christians who are in public service who realize that um, in, in many ways there's a blessing in, in the sovereignty of God knowing that it's, it's really um, uh, ultimately in his hands, that he, that he directs uh, the, the rulers and the authorities uh, according to his will. And I think that's a really important thing uh, for interns and young people. And it, it, it carries on, I think, throughout the time of the, at the Hill. I minister to a group of um, 14 or so who are also um, sort of tangentially connected, either in the Senate or they work for sort of uh, groups that you know help with campaigns or fundraising or things like that. And uh, you know, when we were trying to pick our study series, well, what do we want to go through? You know, I thought they would want to go through some book about politics and the church, and and they were like, you know, we haven't really ever walked through a gospel. Like, I don't, I don't really know who Jesus is and what his mission is. I'm told what Jesus's mission is. You know, a lot of people will come to Capitol Hill uh, with, you know, uh, visions of who Jesus is to sort of get them to vote a certain way, whether that's left or right. And, you know, after hearing all of these stories, it, it gets confusing. Well, what is Jesus's mission? And so just taking them through the book of Mark very simply and, you know, taking weeks and weeks and weeks to go just through Mark 1. And we spent, we spent three weeks with 15 guys who are all, you know, very well educated, very um, uh, accomplished, uh, very um, uh, eager guys. We spent like three weeks on just Mark 1, 1, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What does that mean? Um, and I think that's kind of where a lot of people on Capitol Hill are uh, in terms of what are, what are the resources, what are the tools that they need that the local church and, and groups like Ministry to State can provide? Yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, it would be remiss if before we were done, I didn't mention that I'm in, the, in, in sitting in between podcasting royalty. Uh, one of the ministries of Ministry to State is uh, something called The Will and Rob Show. And they, each week, so I think you guys are, what, in 70, what? We're in six, episode 65. Episode 65. So here's how wonderful they are. I started a podcast that made it four episodes and died. Uh, they're on 60-something, and each week they pick some other topic. And so one of the things I would be interested to hear from both of you and also from, from Dominique is there, there is so much political information out there. It is just coming at you constantly. Um, and there's a lot of political podcasts. So between the two of you, how did you guys arrive at like, hey, you know what the world needs? Another politically Christian-oriented podcast. And how did you arrive at kind of the take that you have, which I think is brilliant. And then I'd love to hear from Dominique. How, what, what is the church doing or what is the church producing that is like, oh, this is helpful for me to hear. I'm taking this in on the hill. Well, we know Dominique's going to say it's the Will and Rob show. That's the that's the resource that that's helping her. This. Um, I, Will, you can you can jump in here too. I mean, I think for me, it was the conversations I was just having with my friends who work in government. Um, the conversations that my wife and I have. My wife, um, her career is politics, so I kind of got into ministry to state uh, when I got married, even though I didn't know what ministry to state was. Um, the it, it was the conversations that I was having with her and with friends um, that aren't the nitty-gritty policy debates. It's not the, um, the sort of let's rehash what we just heard uh, on uh, Fox, CNN, MSNBC. It, it was more there's, there's something bigger going on here, and I don't know how to articulate that. I don't know how to talk about that. Um, and so that, that takes you into a lot of areas. Will, you know, Will was talking about with his Theology on Tap uh, series. You know, that gets you into questions and debates about... 
Um, well, what is, how does the sovereignty of God interact with, with free will? Um, it gets you into conversations about, well, what is the role of, of the state uh, in the Bible? What does the Bible say about um, governing authorities? And I think, you know, you kind of move from there to there, and there's just this constellation of topics that um, aren't necessarily political but have profound, uh, I think, implications on work in politics. Would you, would you kind of, what do you think? What, what, what were your ideas when we started the show? I just like hearing my recorded voice. <laughs> that was, <laughs> no, I, it took me actually months to start listening to it because <laughs> it's still painful. But, uh, you know, um, our, our hope with this podcast is to be um, perhaps thought-provoking for, for members in churches and for people on the Hill for the work that they're doing and encouraging them to hopefully provide some kind of connection between Scripture, God's plan for their discipleship and sanctification, and their daily work. So that is really... A, we're not, we're not splitting the atom on this show. We're not like coming up with anything radically new. Our hope really is just to get in there and be a faithful presence to people in their work and their day-to-day. And the, the question for us that we're asking is why should we care about men and women serving in government? Um, and there's a lot of answers that we could give. One of them is that there's a, a bunch of very smart, competent, driven people who are going to be movers and shakers in the future. I mean, it's kind of fun to think about these young people that I get to hang out with and what they're going to be doing. Um, The second is, and to pastors, thank you for faithfully teaching men and women scripture because they they all have some idea of what the future ought to look like. We we all have. I remember someone saying one time that seminary was as much about... uh, unteaching as teaching something new. So so really seminary is much about correcting bad, like incorrect thinking of, of like the sacraments or doctrine of creation as much as it was telling me that there is a doctrine of creation. And so thank you for teaching them deeply scripture, uh, what it is, knowing their Bibles. I think Rob and I would say that what, what's needed practically more than anything is just people knowing scripture, people knowing what the word of God is, people having a covenantal hermeneutic to interpret what they're reading and then putting it to play in their um, day-to-day. And then the second is an acknowledgement. America's weird in that, you know, if you're in France, there's, it's, it's highly secular. If you're in England, the church and state are, are very connected and have been for a very long time. In America, we have this weird, like, in-betweenism that we have this, you know, the wall, separation of the wall between church and state. So there's kind of this weird dynamic relationship. And it's really hard to know when are we going too far? When are we, like, one side or the other? When are we... Um, putting too much connection between the two and when are we withdrawing too much because we just have a different way of thinking about the relationship between church and state in America. And so um, for, for you guys, as you love these people and as we seek to love them and encourage them in their day-to-day to see God's vision for flourishing for their work um, as they seek to be salt and light, and I'll stop here, but uh, with the goal of evangelization and evangelism, I, I realize that we're pretty limited. Like, I can't reach everybody, but hopefully by ministering to these people uh, that, I, that I have, they can therefore teach and love their neighbors and reach them with the gospel. Um, Dominic, I want to get you in here uh, at the very end before we take uh, Q&A. Um, kind of going back to Michael's original question, what are some of the things that you see uh, that, uh, in addition to uh, the, the, the gospel-centered preaching 
uh, the discipleship. Are there, are there other tools or resources that um, the local church could be providing or helping uh, people who work in government with? Or is it, you know, is it, is it less like uh, physical resources or is it more the, the personal relationships and, and discipleship? I know you've been talking a lot about relationships and just kind of wanted you to kind of flesh that out for a little bit more for us. Yeah, I think it's somewhat a combination of both. I think I actually listened to you guys' podcast throughout the pandemic. It was one of the only like media resources that I continued to listen to. Um, I think working in politics, you know, there, especially for someone that covers press, um, there's just like a lot of noise that we have to take in um, that a lot of people get to ignore, uh, but we have to take it in for our jobs. And so for for things that are outside of my work, I'm really intentional and careful about uh, the media that I'm consuming and the books that I'm reading, the sermons that I'm listening to. Um, I'm a lot more intentional about that than I had been prior to coming on Capitol Hill. I mean, prior to coming on Capitol Hill, I would pretty much consume, you know, whatever was out there. Um, But I think now I really try to be intentional about reading and listening to things that are from a faith perspective, perspective that gives you more of a like calming spirit. Um, I think that's really important because to, I think Michael is the one was talking about the mental health aspect of being a leader or working for leaders, um, that can be really draining. And so the resources, as you think through resources um, that you want to build out for people in these communities who are leaders, uh, really be thinking through what are the types of resources that would help to, um, that would help with the mental care aspect um, and kind of provide avenues for them to kind of rest their minds um, in the Lord. I mean, that's kind of, that is the whole point of a lot of the uh, biblical stories and language. It's, it's that, you know, we find our rest in the Lord. And I think that's a really important thing that sometimes gets lost in education. Um, instead of just consuming anything, it's really about streamlining um, to create, to help people create uh, a time of rest in their work day. Um, So while relationships are really great and I'm a super promoter of them, I think if you don't have those times of rest, if you don't have those times of quietness with the Lord, um, it, all of the rest is much more difficult. So that's something that I would, I would say, you know, be thinking through and trying to emphasize with those in your communities. Yes, thank you. And uh, a good um, example of some of the, the resources that Ministry of State's trying to provide to really encourage those quiet times and, and those re- that, that reflection uh, at the workplace is we, we send out a weekly devotional to the Capitol Hill uh, staffers um, that goes into their inbox when they get into the office and uh, hopefully is providing you know, something like five minutes even, if that's, if that's even all they got, um, to spend some time reflecting on the, on the Word of God. Uh, as they go about their busy days. So please uh, join me in uh, thanking our panel for this great conversation. You can hear more talks like this by subscribing to the Gifts and Graces podcast. You can also hear more content like this by attending a seminar at General Assembly. They are free and open to the public. 
Find out times and locations by visiting pcaga.org. Thanks for listening to Gifts and Graces.